0: Fandom University. Every other week, we deep dive into the topics we love and obsess over. Comics, novels, movies, sci-fi, and video games receive the elevated discourse they deserve. With your overworked TAs, Sean and Sergio.
1: Hello all you retcons and reboots out there. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Fandom University. My name is Sergio.
0: And mine is Sean.
1: Class is in session. We are continuing our Halloween Michael Myers-Laurie Strode conversation with the second part of this arc leading into the final episode in a couple of weeks in which we will discuss Halloween Kills. So it's a it's that, that's a chuck full of spooky season stuff. And I love it. I love it a lot. Me too. I'm so excited for the new movie. Like getting to watch uh, a scary movie, like right as, you know, Halloween is coming up uh, is, is, is just one of my, one of my delights. One of, my, one of the many things keeping me from doing my best Ernest Hemingway impersonation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, here in the post-hope world, we have to take our pleasures where we can.
1: And I take them watching a a deranged madman kill dozens of innocent Innocent... people.
0: (laughs) You know, there's something so life affirming about watching a slasher film. At
1: least we survived.
0: (laughs) The important thing is that we survived. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I love Halloween. It's the one holiday as an adult that I kind of have never completely outgrown like christmas finally i got to a point where it's like okay i i get it i've had enough christmas but i still get excited for halloween and it's not even like i don't wear costumes i don't dress up i don't go to parties but i feel i don't know i just like it that for an entire month the whole world shares this obsession with the macabre you know
1: yeah the which is something that we uh, hold to our hearts hold close to our hearts year All round year round <laughs> Uh, well, this episode we will be discussing uh, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, as well as the 2018 uh, reboot uh, or retcon. Uh,
0: yeah, Rec- re- direct sequel, I guess it's
1: whatever you want to call it. It's uh, the the two- the the movie called Halloween that came out in 2018. <laughs> we'll be talking about that movie. Uh, let's just let's go ahead and just uh, dive right into Halloween Three. Uh, let's go ahead and discuss the elephant in the room this is a michael myerless movie
0: yes yes he exists as a fictional character within the framework of that world but he is not real in the halloween three world
1: yeah in in the halloween three averse uh mike the, the movies halloween and halloween two are our movies that that show that are played on tv that play in the cinema Uh, that are enjoyed by um, uh, the fans of the the arts such as us
0: the horror genre yeah exactly so um, let's let's talk about why uh, we get a Halloween 3 without Michael Myers how does this happen
1: well John Carpenter was I mean after the success of Halloween and Halloween 2 it just it makes sense to make another Halloween movie to make a, to make a second sequel. And uh, so John Carpenter is uh, asked to do so. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, not asked. uh, John Carpenter is. Contractually uh, obligated. No, I don't think he's obligated. John Carpenter. uh, John Carpenter is approached to do so, but he has no interest in revisiting the Michael Myers character. He feels that he's that, that sort of played out and really is hoping to make the Halloween franchise into an anthology series of sorts. Like think um, the twilight zone or um, outer limits. Yeah. Or like, uh, or maybe even um, like American horror story, where they reuse some of the same actors because the actress who plays Annie in Halloween comes back in a small role and plays uh, the main character, the protagonist, uh, Dan Chalice, uh, his ex-wife.
0: Nancy Kai's.
1: Something sort of in that vein. Um, obviously with nods to the previous movies because yeah, like, you do see uh commercials for the first two movies or the movies are playing on a T on TV and in several right. different scenes. Um also the um not the um the more recognizable Halloween theme, the dun 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 dun, but the the sort of like I don't even know how to describe it because yeah, i it's the, I think the, um,
0: yeah, the, the the sharp little stab, and there's also Lori's theme, which is that do do
1: do do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like those, uh, like that's a, that's a holdover, and so you can see what what Carpenter was hoping to do, um, but and I mean, it was a it was a shot in the dark. I mean, I I I don't know that I don't know that I would have enjoyed it if they had succeeded which would have meant that we wouldn't have gotten the good Michael Myers movies that we've gotten since then
0: true um it would be it would be interesting we would have a whole I mean yeah we I mean assuming this had been a success like who knows how far they would have gone with it right before we get into reboot or hey let's bring that Michael Myers guy back again like even if this had been a success and I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and it looks like the budget was 2.5 million and it made 14.4 million. So like, it's not like it was a, it didn't make its money back. Well, just,
1: Um, you know, comparatively that, you know, they're hoping, I mean, Halloween ended up making like $700 million. And so, you know, I'm I'm sure they weren't really expecting that much money, but uh, you
0: know, 14.4 is pretty poor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just the expectations were probably not met by any stretch. Uh, right. But so we have a so the basic plot of the movie is you've got a guy, Cochran, who owns this silver shamrock uh, mask company, and he is creating all he's making all these masks with like microchips in them that shoot lasers uh, and melt kids brains. And he's trying to kill the kids because Halloween's gone away from its Celtic roots and he's trying to bring it back. or Right. Something.
0: It's a, there's a sacrifice, I think. Like the kids are sort of supposed to be, aren't they putting like little chips of the, the, the stonehenge rock?
1: Yeah. There's a, at one point he, uh, he's like showing uh, chalice around the, the lab, like the, you know, like a, like a super villain does. Like, hey, <laughs> let, me, let me show you what we're doing here. And uh, there's a piece of stone, like an actual, like, not like a piece, like, you know, a piece you can hold in your hand, but like one of the actual like rocks in, in full from Stonehenge, from Stonehenge. <laughs> in their um airplane hangar warehouse thing or whatever. And he says, uh, you wouldn't believe how we got it here, and just drops it like, doesn't even try to explain <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, respect that. If I yeah, if I wrote such a ridiculous plot point into a screenplay, I wouldn't want I I'd try to get out of explaining it too. Uh the screenplay itself though is is interesting to note because um the the written by the directed and written by credits both go to a guy named Tommy Lee Wallace who would go on. Uh, he like worked on the original Halloween on the set. He uh, also directed the uh, made for TV It miniseries. Yep. Uh, but this the screenplay is really just a like a heavily edited uh, version of a screenplay that a guy named Nigel Neal wrote. Nigel Neal is interesting because uh he was brought on um because he created a character named professor bernard quartermass and um uh and he appeared in like various um like television series and films uh, radio productions like you know the bbc is big on their their radio dramas um but just sort of a like it was known for creating this character and known for sort of like this um sci-fi folk horror slant that isn't really prevalent in the united states is more of a european and, and english thing um but the the script that neil wrote wasn't uh wasn't, was there was it was disliked by mufasa akkad he wanted more gore he wanted like the sort of um like psychological aspect of it or sort of like the, the, the subtleties that Neil put into it. Uh, Akkad felt um, weren't money makers or weren't going to be understood by the American audience. And uh, so he had uh, the director punch up the script. He punched it up so much that Neil uh, completely disavowed it and didn't want any credit uh, for <laughs> it at all. Um, which is
0: pretty, I mean, I guess, if you've already had a pretty successful career, which Neil had had up to this point, I mean, you can afford to take your name off. it. I'm, I'm thinking about, like, there are so many of these horror movies where you look at the director or writer's credits and, like, that that's, like, their biggest credit, you know, and nothing yeah. else is on their resume. Um, so, like, you'd have to be pretty ashamed or pretty mad to take your name off uh if you were a lesser presence i think uh in the uh movie slash tv film production world i guess
1: yeah and i misspoke earlier it wasn't mufasa cod actually it was uh, dino de la that that wanted the, the the more like graphic violence um although the the script itself actually like john carpenter really enjoyed and was was behind but i guess it was it was out of his hands.
0: Yeah. He, he's not the money man.
1: And so Wallace punches up the script and that's what we get. Uh, that's what we get now.
0: It's a, it's, uh, it's a we, weird movie.
1: It, it is. No, it is. It is strange. It's um, it kind of doesn't know what it wants to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I were, were texting about it. And one of the things that, um, we talked about is how not very much happens like it doesn't feel it almost feels like a a made for tv movie or an episode of like the twilight zone or something like a b-side um because like so much of the movie is just this road trip slash staying in a motel overnight like i know not a lot happens in the original halloween either when you actually take the events but like the tension and everything is so well done that like it pulls you along with it the entire time whereas this one it feels pretty flat for the most part uh it feels that, yeah it feels
1: small for sure
0: yeah and and slight um in a way that i still have trouble putting my my finger on
1: yeah it's 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 hard to pin down because i think uh it's still you know it has a lot of the sort of you know there and there is some like pretty gnarly shit going down like um the woman whose face is burned by the, by the laser that comes out of the Stonehenge chip. Yeah, that
0: was pretty bad. Uh,
1: that's great. Um, there's several, uh, you know, the scenes of the kids with, you know, who's, with their face melting and like bugs and snakes coming out of their scene. Yeah.
0: Uh, where the family, the obnoxious salesman and his family are trapped in that room and the kid's head just caves in. That is an amazing scene. Like that is, that is a, that, that scene convinced me that I loved this movie when I was a kid, I was like, Holy shit, this is amazing.
1: And so there's, Um, there's scenes like that. And like juxtapose with like uh, the, like I said, like the very like sort of subtle, and quiet aspect of folklore that neil brought to it like there's like they didn't scrub like there's you know I've, I've read reviews of the original script and they said by and large it's uh like the major plot points like the big moves are are pretty much the same
0: interesting so um, like
1: i said it, it feels like it's trying to be two movies at once
0: so in the reviews of the original script do they say like what what changes substantially like what what about it changes enough that in your opinion nigel Neal wants off
1: i think it's like just the the graphic violence sort of the over the top um sort of like you know grab you by the by the shoulders and you know
0: put a, put a l- drill through your yeah,
1: head like look at me <laughs> yeah you know, that was it that wasn't, uh, that wasn't in his wheelhouse at all. If you take away all that, you do have this small sort of intimate story of, uh, a, an every man, uh, a man who, uh, who can't get along with his ex-wife. Like, has a bad relationship with his kids, maybe drinks a little bit too much, uh, but wants to do the right thing. Uh, you know, trying, trying to do just that.
0: Right. And, and getting caught up in something way bigger than what he was expecting. Yeah. Um, something bizarrely beyond what he was expecting. I mean, and I didn't notice it before because I guess I hadn't really gotten into folk horror at that point. But, um, you know, obviously in the last couple of years, there's been a resurgence with like Midsummer, and I finally saw the Wicker Man for the first time. And it's impossible not to see it like the sort of uh, it's literally like they imported full core to America because like this, this company moves in and buys, you know, basically bring in all their own employees and shut out all the locals in that town um, and are basically doing something to appease an old European pagan uh, presence. Um, so, it and as far as I know, and granted, there is so much I don't know. Uh, I can attest that, to that. That might be the most prevalent example, uh, at least up to that point, of folk horror in America, or maybe still is to some degree. I don't know. Um, but it, it, it it's interesting because folk horror tends to take a less, I mean, midsummer has got some graphic violence in it, but it's also a very slow burn, you know, and that's, I think, f- most folk horror. Relies more on dread and sort yep. of, you know, slowly peeling back layers. And I, I can see now that you talk about it, I, I can see those moves. And you, um, because the movie does move kind of slowly, and it is about this character discovering more and more. It is a detective story, um, you know. So it's, yeah, that that's interesting. Um, and I, I, I wish I liked it more. Like there are a lot of things I like about it.
1: No, yeah, that's um, like we were discussing. Because um, well, we're discussing like the the like you mentioned like this sort of anti corporate message that it has. Um, you know, not trusting like the the big the you know big uh, uh, you know like not trusting like the, the big uh, silver Shamrock company as opposed to uh, the small mom and pop shops like the 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 first murder is that of a of a of a local shopkeep. right and, and his his daughter and and is who end up like going on this road trip slash like adventure uh slash uh, investigation
0: slash romantic trip so, yeah like like and
1: it, it just as an aside there's it it all it, there's like a ten second like soft core porn scene
0: <laughs> where they're deliberately ignoring a woman dying <laughs> next to
1: i mean well not even i mean yeah yeah they do they well they don't know she's dying
0: no no but like he's like ah it's nothing you know because he's got a face full of boob he doesn't want to go anywhere yeah
1: who would who would exactly um but yeah that was every
0: man completely relatable
1: to i thought that us. was uh yeah i thought that was a the i well just um just the way it was shot and just the way it was framed i thought that was just the sort of weird scene you know
0: I mean that definitely, uh, and I don't have the facts to back this up, but that feels like another studio note in terms of like, hey, this is a Halloween movie. You got to have at least some naked, you know, girls, or at least a naked girl, at least yeah. one.
1: No, yeah. Now, now that you bring it up like that, that makes total sense. That tracks, but yeah, they, but it is
0: weird within the context of the film. Yes,
1: um, and because like, I mean, the, the entire romance seems kind of shoehorned
0: yeah it 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 really does like he's so chalice is divorced and it's like he seems to get along with all these other women like who are like cool girls like the nurse who he's like i should have married you and there's that forensic doctor who's helping him with the investigation or the the uh the mortician mortician thank you uh the mortician yeah who also is in love with him and then this girl who's seems like she's at least a decade his junior probably closer to 15 years i would guess um who just throws herself at him uh right after her dad dies under horrible circumstances and he doesn't blink he just no yeah he's like
1: absolutely like my wife sucks and that's another thing is like the um (laughs) i mean you don't really see it um aside from the ex-wife but there's a ton of misogyny uh, uh, like baked into that character yeah because she seems like such a nag
0: yeah she's always got something shitty to say no matter what uh he does or says um there's a there she's only in like one scene I think on camera and then the other times we hear her she's on the phone and no matter what he tries to say to her like she you can just hear her talking over him and yelling at him and he's just like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh and like the movie just portrays him as this sad sack who's like it doesn't let him off the hook but also like the juxtaposition of that with like these other relationships he's having really seems to put an emphasis on what a bitch, right? You know?
1: No. Yeah. Like she's like this shrew that like uh, he's calling her to tell her like, he's going out of town. I mean, he's going out of town to run off with this 15 year old fi- or like 15, year old
0: 18 <laughs> <laughs> year old, whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's uh, he calls her to tell her that he's going out of town. He's going to, I guess, to some um, like uh, something for work, but in all actuality, he's, he's going to investigate this man's murder with the man's daughter who like you said is about 15 years younger than her very very beautiful uh but you know he's telling her like oh yeah I got to go to the work thing came up last minute and she's pissed off because he's supposed to have the kids and so she comes off as like nag 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 when he's like lying to her right <laughs> and and uh and yeah when he's lying when he's lying to her and the whole thing just you know it's 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 just weird like yeah like you know he's like I don't know where I'm gonna. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know the name of the hotel. Click, God, Jill, what a bitch! Am I right? Yeah, the whole <laughs> thing is. I mean, at at best, it's at at its worst, it's misogyny. At best, it's just poor. It's a poor characterization. It's like it's a flat character.
0: Right, and I mean, and to be honest, like he's abrogating his responsibilities as a father to help this other person, this
1: stranger, this complete stranger.
0: To do a job that isn't his job. He is not a detective. He is a doctor. He's an ER doctor.
1: He's a man of science.
0: Who will literally start a murder investigation to avoid hanging out with his kids. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, he...
1: And this is who we're supposed to root for.
0: Exactly. And I think the movie does expect us to root for him. Or does it?
1: You know, is that a misstep on the part of the movie? Or does this movie portray like this very complicated man as, you know, as, as, you know, as three-dimensionally as possible, you know, he's not, Oh, he's like, you know, this great guy didn't work out with his wife, but he's still a great dad. And he's, you know, he's, he's good at his job and he's he's such a good person and just a good guy all around. Like, no, this is a dude, like, like I said earlier, he can't get along with his ex-wife doesn't have the best relationship with his kids. Maybe drink, yeah. Maybe drinks a little too much. Uh, but tries, you know, wants to, wants to help this woman.
0: Right. And, but, and I'm not really sure. And maybe that's, I don't know if it's a misstep on the movie's part or a deliberate choice, but the movie doesn't seem to judge him or so like in a twilight zone, that character would get their comeuppance at the end. Right. Yeah. Something bad would happen. Rod Serling would, you know, clearly telegraphed. This is a, a person who does a bad thing. And what happens when you do a bad thing is you get punished. And I guess you could argue at the end, that's exactly what happens because his kids are wearing those masks and they're probably sitting right in front of that TV. And if he'd just been home with them, who knows? You know, or, or if he'd been where he was supposed to be, he'd be where he could save them at least. Um, yeah. Although he wouldn't know to save them. So like, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't feel like a direct comeuppance um so it may just be like hey this is who this guy is like and since it's a horror film and and maybe that may, that's another thing that sets it apart from the other halloween movies is that it's not a movie with like a really likable sympathetic protagonist you know they're that halloween's one and two you know Lori is the ostensible protagonist and then four and five you've got. Um, jamie Jamie. and then in six you've got tommy grown up and um some distant relations of of the Myers family that i'm still not sure how that 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 dynasty played out it doesn't
1: matter it doesn't matter matter. it doesn't matter but no yeah this is this is sort of a character that you don't they they hadn't seen in the series before and haven't really seen since and just aesthetically you kind of don't see at all you know you've got this like very like dad bod ish (laughs) like You know, every man, which nowadays your every man is played by Paul Rudd or by Ryan Reynolds, you know, (laughs) like these right, these sort of beautiful men, yeah, these beautiful men, these pillars of masculinity, not guys
0: uh, who look like your dad who would like smoke and have a yellow ashtray in your wood paneled living room in the early 80s. No,
1: yeah, like, um,
0: the guy explaining why you couldn't afford an Atari this Christmas.
1: So it's, or, and then got you one anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because he, he's actually a pretty good dad.
1: He's actually a pretty good guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, yeah. This is the first movie in the franchise that actually has a man as the protagonist. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue that Loomis is co-protagonist in the the first two Halloween movies, and that that's fair. But I feel like Laurie is the the one that we're worried about and rooting for in both of those uh movies. yeah
1: that's true like i kind of didn't really care what happened to loomis
0: yeah he's he's sort of the the exposition machine slash deus he's sort machina. of like yeah
1: he's sort of the greek chorus
0: yeah he's there to explain to us why this matters and then to wrap it up in the yeah lori's cornered
1: yeah uh, hmm, interesting yeah it is really great quote the special effects artist on the movie don post said uh sort of in um, in the 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 run-up to the movie in the marketing they're asking he had designed there's three this, there's three masks that are like, are heavily in play that the three masks that the company in the movie uses the jack-o'-lantern the skull and a green witch and so he's doing this interview and he's talking about masks and he has this really great quote that he uh, gave the new york times he says every society and every time has had its mask that suited the mood of the society from the mask ball to clowns to makeup, people want to act out a feeling inside themselves. Angry, sad, happy, old. It may be a sad commentary on present-day America that horror masks are the best sellers. Let's unpack that.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot since um, since you sent me the quote. And my first reaction to it was, nuh-uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah. I think that that usually is uh, a first reaction to something you don't want to believe, but then you keep thinking about it and you're like, there's a reason I keep thinking about there's a reason why I haven't just completely like shunted this out of my mind. You might have a point.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, there, there are things, you know, like play therapy, right. Where kids sort of reenact their own trauma. Yeah. Um, and so in a way, I guess, you know, Halloween, at least in the United States in the late 20th century, is sort of about dressing up as the things we fear about, you know, death, violence, whatever, the supernatural, the afterlife, and sort of making a game out of it.
1: Being able to confront it without having like to suffer any consequences. Exactly. Like, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is kind of what I think is, you know, what horror is for, um, you know, as far as why horror masks would sell better than any other kind of masks. I I don't know. Is it because Halloween is really the only major mask wearing holiday in this country?
1: Well, I think just in terms of um, even I, Halloween costumes. Well, yeah. I mean, just like as opposed to like a mask for um, like a knight or a king or or you know a non-horror uh, character
0: right and fair um well i think also kids are powerless right and they're they really like the fantasy of power that's why they love superheroes it, and i think that's part of the appeal of monsters too is that they are powerful you know there's something that is beyond even your parents ability to deal with you know in your worst nightmares so i don't i don't know if i think it's a sad commentary so much as i mean i think it is telling but i don't know that i would attach the value of sadness to it but maybe i'm just so indoctrinated to america and its you know rebuttal of death and aging i mean that there might be something there because as a country, we try to hide the elderly (laughs) and uh, shunt them aside out of view. So we don't have to think about death.
1: I don't know that it's, um, I don't think that, that we have, I don't know, horror or evil inside of us, which is like why we then put on these masks. I think it's more so that, you know, these things like terrify us, these things uh, like the idea of of something, you know, horrible happening, of something like Michael Myers happening uh, in a world where, I mean, like, you know, it's it's a movie, right? It's, you know, it's, it's make-believe. But, you know, what's the difference between a man in a William Shatner mask painted up white in a mechanic's overalls with a butcher's knife and kid walking into a school with an AK 47. Right. And so I think that, you know, being able to kind of toy with that keeps us, you know, from going crazy essentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I I agree with that. I, you know, I, when I was writing my novel, A Cosmology of Monsters, I spent a lot of time
1: in paperback now.
0: Yeah. In paperback from vintage, uh, available at all fine retailers and books. Uh, I, I only bring it up because I had to spend a lot of time thinking about and justifying, like, why horror? Like, what, what does it do? What is it good for? And I think that's, I mean, I think that essentially does nail it. You know, it's it's it allows us to take subtext and make it text and face it head on. Yep. And I think that's what a lot of genre does, not just horror, but also fantasy and sci-fi and all of that. Like, take these abstract things that that sort of play under the music of the everyday quotidian, like day in, day out drama that we all live through um, and only confront us occasionally at big moments and allow us to look at them without the filter of the everyday hiding it from us. Um, yep. So, I, yeah, I... I don't think it's a sad commentary. I think it's a—it's um, just human. I don't know. I don't. I just think it's part of being human, and it's how our culture has adapted to it. I—I I don't think we're an overly morbid culture. Um,
1: Unfortunately, yeah, I know. They,
0: we could we I could deal with some more morbidity, America. I mean, if
1: if we need more Adam's Family and less Brady Bunch, there yeah. I said it. Yeah. Hot take.
0: Evil midweek cutie.
1: oh goodness
0: cut that That nobody's gonna get that
1: (laughs) well just to wrap up this uh, halloween three season of the witch conversation do you think this movie so this movie it's you know now uh 20 years removed from its release and has it like you said it made it made seven times its money back which is a pretty good return on investment but still far below expectations uh, but has recently sort of uh, been invigorated as this sort of hidden gem and like forgotten great of uh, the genre from that, from that time period. Do you think this movie would have been better received initially had it not been like branded as a Halloween movie? One, and two, do you think it deserves its sort of uh, role now as this hidden gem?
0: I honestly think that this movie would be largely forgotten if it hadn't been Halloween 3. Um, I think there would be diehards, you know, like there are for cult films, you know, um, but I think the fact that it's got this, you know, by horror standards, big corporate tag attached yeah. to the the masthead that um, gives it a visibility that it wouldn't have otherwise. I mean, maybe having john carpenter listed as a producer especially in the early 80s might have you know and having it come from universal pictures might have given it a little bit more but i I don't think it would be i don't think we'd be talking about it now
1: i mean like like we said it it does have a lot of things going for it It has some good moves the soundtrack is fantastic the soundtrack Mm -hmm. actually got re-released on vinyl because it's just it's that damn good it's like this really it's by john carpenter as well got this really great like sort of 80s synth feel like horror 80s horror vibe thing that like if you're if you're a fan of like the music that the guys from survived uh, uh, do for stranger things you would definitely be into this
0: yeah i i listen to this one a lot when i'm when i'm writing um it's it's so good and um john carpenter co-composed it with alan H- howarth um who started who kind of took over scoring duties for the Halloween franchise after this, I believe um, he worked with Carpenter a lot, but I, I think he sort of, you know, for Halloween's four five and six, he was sort of the de facto um, uh, c- composer, adapting Carpenter's themes and repurposing. Um, so fun, fun fact for you soundtrack heads out there.
1: Which and we know you're listening. We yeah. Do. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel that, initially it being a halloween movie hurt it but i think like like you said in the long run it's the only that that branding is the only thing that saved it from obscurity i think that um if you know this i think if this movie isn't halloween 3 season of the witch i think if it's just season of the witch then it's just one of those like you know cult not even classics but just like like little known cult movies that if you're into like that sort of genre and you meet someone else who also has seen the movie and likes it, then you've just made a new friend.
0: Right, right. It, it, it feels like something that Shudder would dig up and like, be like, look what we found, you know, which. Oh, they, yeah, they for do. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they curate stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it would survive, but not at the level that it has.
1: Right, moving on to Halloween 2018. This this is an interesting movie because, um, like when we when we talked about uh, H2O, you know, we discussed the possibility of the the Halloweens four, five, and six either being a part of that timeline or not being a part of the timeline, and and subsequently, like what that meant uh, for the movie and for the characters. What Halloween 2018 does is completely negate. Every single movie except for the first one. Even Halloween 2, which was by by all by all stretch, you know, um, still considered part of, of the quote unquote good canon. Right. And so it, it acts as a direct sequel uh, to Halloween, 1978. So it takes and it in it takes place in chronologically and in universe 40 years later. Right
0: so this is the first halloween movie we get after the rob zombie reboot uh or rather remake and its sequel kind of fizzled um and blumhouse got the rights and um really just went all out (laughs) on getting like a really good halloween movie together like um they got a celebrated like director who's known for like making major studio comedies and like weird little indie films. Um, And they brought back John Carpenter as it uh, was he a producer. I know. I don't think so. I think he just did the score, Uh, but they got Carpenter back to do the score.
1: Um, I mean, he he, he, was Carpenter was definitely involved. Like he might, he might not have uh, a producer credit, but he was definitely involved with the with the production of the film as far as um, I mean, obviously, he like you said, he, he he composed the score, but I'm sure they also like he sort of acted as an advisor, I, I would think.
0: Yeah, I, it looks like he was sort of um, that was sort of key to Blumhouse uh, getting the Halloween rights, I think, was um knowing that they, he had some interest in getting him back into the fold. And that is a major get because I mean, I'd been hoping, you know, it's sort of like one of those things you always hope for, like, Oh man, what if James Cameron came back and did another alien movie or, you know, a Terminator three or whatever. Um, so actually getting John Carpenter back in any capacity involved with the franchise again, that's kind of where my, I mean, like we said, I think in the previous episode, I've seen every single Halloween movie that's come out you know, in the theater yeah. since H2O. So like they've got my money regardless, but like that's where I kind of start to like hope.
1: So they get the whole gang back together. They got Carpenter. They've got Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role as Lori Strode. They've even got the original Michael Myers, Nick Castle coming in to do a few scenes at the ripe old age of like, you know, 70 something. So, I mean, this is... You know there it's definitely fan service like they're definitely playing to fans of the franchise while also trying to make something that uh that somebody new to the franchise could enjoy and that's something that i thought that they did really well was this quote unquote fan services um like there are tons of references to the other movies in the franchise but it never seems like too on the nose
0: it doesn't stop the movie you know, like like in other movies uh, where there's fan service, like the camera would linger, or there'd be kind of more of a wink, wink. And usually with the references uh, in this movie, like it either goes by so fast that if you're not paying attention, you can miss it, or it's such a subtle nod that it it makes sense within the flow of the story. Like like the the cops, you know, sitting outside just having their little dialogue, like. I don't, you don't need to have seen Halloween five to enjoy that scene where those guys are bickering about lunch, you know, it's just, but it, it does show like, okay, this is you're in the hands of people who really love this franchise, even if they are narratively undoing a lot of that franchise to make their story, um, that it's clearly made by people who love it, but have made some big choices, um, I think very brave choices honestly to uh,
1: no. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. There are obvious illusions like when um, Lori gets pushed off the balcony and then Michael (laughs) turns around, turns back around and she's gone. Not only is she gone just like Michael was at the end of Halloween, but the ground like that would have been underneath her is like discolored (laughs) just like the, like the grass was in the original Halloween. Like how hard did he land and how long did he lay there? Like but, he's
0: dense evil is dense i think somebody on twitter said i wish i could remember who um, um
1: there's also uh and there's some there's smaller references like there's one scene where two trick-or-treaters bump into michael and one of the boys is holding like a little like like i guess it, part of his costume is he's holding a boom box which is a callback to a like, almost the exact same scene in halloween 2 where in like a teenager holding an actual boom box because it's 1978 or 1979 uh <laughs> it bumps into Michael. Uh, You see the three masks, the, the, the jack-o'-lantern, the skull and the green witch, uh, three little kids are running by and it's just like a blink and you miss it sort of scene, but you know, the eagle eye will catch it. It's like, it's like you said, it's, it's little, little nods like that, that show that the makers, you know, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride of all fucking people (laughs) uh, understand the franchise and love the franchise but yet have something you know aren't just going to like lean on its history but have something new to say
0: yeah and i so it's interesting to have all these nods and also have a back to basics approach sort of yeah Um,
1: very much so very much back to basics they michael myers sort of um reclaims his role as this like unknowable presence like this this um uh, the shape you know and 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 uh lori actually says it like i saw him the shape like they like to to her like you know like there's a scene where the the podcasters which we will, will will go more in depth with the podcasters uh they ask her if if she believes in the boogeyman like to her like to like to those people michael myers is the boogeyman michael myers isn't a living breathing human being he right. is something else, something not of this world. And I think that's, you know, that's where Rob Zombie made a mistake is sort of um, familiarizing Michael Myers in a way that uh, audiences could understand. You know, he grows up in a, a in a bad environment. You know, his mom's a stripper. There's some guy, an, an uncle, maybe a boyfriend, a,
0: a bad boyfriend. Yeah. Uh,
1: living at home who ab- verbally abuses him you know he gets bullied on at school so he starts you know he starts killing little animals in the woods you know it's all like you know like you know s- bill how to, how to build a serial killer 101 sort of thing
0: michael is the protagonist of that movie like it's it's about his journey rather than the people around him um and it it doesn't make him more interesting it actually has the reverse effect exactly um, so Yeah. And and it's something that even before Rob Zombie came along, you know, all the sequels, even starting with Halloween Two, start to lean into, okay, why is he doing this? You know, why does he keep doing it? And, um, what possible reason would he have? And, you know, they, they eventually get into supernatural territory. Like he's got a psychic link with his niece and he's the reason that she stabs somebody is all this stuff. Like, there's and a cult
1: like there's like this, like the
0: cult of thorn. Yep. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's bananas.
0: <laughs> it, it, you know, and as much as I love that stuff, I have to admit that like none of it actually makes Michael any scarier. Um.
1: No, the, just the idea that this madman will just start killing if given the opportunity is scary enough. Like, thank you. Like that's all I need to be terrified by.
0: Right. And I think that's, you know, I understand the impulse when you're doing a sequel is you try to expand the world. Right. Um, and to justify your own existence as a sequel. So it, 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 and I think that this movie does something really smart by, like you said, reclaiming Michael as a force of nature, rather than an individual or a cog and some cults plans uh, or something like that. Like he's, Almost every, not almost every, but a lot of the characters in this movie are trying to figure out why Michael does what he does the same way that the sequels have. So you've got this metatextual thing going on that the podcasters are the most obvious example of. But the other one being Michael's doctor, Dr. Sartain, who are just desperate to crack the case of why he is the way he is. Um, and he absolutely refuses definition.
1: I mean, he's been denying his doctor for years to the point that it kind of drives his doctor insane and his doctor ends up like killing to sort of preserve that, that hope that he could figure it out, which I feel is the, is the movie's like one big misstep uh, is that, that plot line. I mean, I feel like he, um, they could have gone the route of him wanting to like, still feeling like he could be rehabilitated without like sort of like the
0: without him murdering the um oh, will the deputy Patton character
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah exactly and and then he puts on the mask too at one yeah. point and he just looks ridiculous like it's not a scary shot it's unintentionally or maybe it's supposed to be funny like in a weird dark way but it's i remember in the theater just being like what the fuck
1: yeah like i said that's i feel like that's the, that's the movies i mean yeah, you know, the the movie's far from flawless. You know, there, there are several little like missteps here and there, like like almost any you know movie will have. But I feel uh, that's the only that's the one big one that the movie has that the film has. Um, but the Doctor Sartain gets gets his in the end, as do the podcasters in absolutely brutal fashion.
0: Yeah, that that's the thing is, um, and a lot of times in a slasher movie, when an obnoxious character gets theirs, you're actually kind of rooting for the killer at that point to, to off them. And in this case, the, the podcasters are obnoxious um, and like overdramatic and, and, and definitely misguided, you know, the, the movie definitely seems to have its tongue in cheek about them. When Michael comes after Dana in the, the, the gas station bathroom, it is so upsetting and so scary, like just dropping the teeth over the door
1: yeah the Um, teeth of the mechanic who he just killed who like he just like ripped the jaw
0: um and i i like that we don't know why he does these things like why did he put on the ghost costume in the original halloween you know to to go upstairs and you know like on top of a mask he was already wearing why did he dress up as her boyfriend like you know um like these weird little creative Things that he does that are sort of childlike in a really horrifying way um but yeah that that scene is so upsetting like and Rian Reese the actress uh playing Dana just sells the hell out of it like her fear becomes so palpable like to me that's one of the scariest I don't know the deaths in general in this movie are really well handled like there was never a point where I was like haha fucking good except maybe when uh, Dr. Sartain got his, he was the only time I was like, good. Yeah, (laughs)
1: essentially. But yeah, all the other ones are uh, like, that's like, you mentioned how like this movie sort of gave me what I wanted for the original Halloween Two was sort of, you know, uh, had not feel that large, you know, and that's exactly what we got. We got Michael Myers sort of like terrorizing the entire town because he doesn't, he, he definitely goes after the mask. But yeah. after that, it doesn't seem like he's really headed toward it. It it doesn't look like it doesn't seem like he's looking for Lori. Lori is definitely looking for Michael. Right. And he only really confronts her because she finds him.
0: Well, because Dr. Sartain brings her him to the, the woods and he's chasing Allison, who he's just chasing because he wants to kill the person in front of him and ends up at the house.
1: Well, no, there's they, they, they there is a scene in the in the town where she shoots him. Oh yeah, him.
0: that's true. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about it. The the final confrontation. No, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, uh... Like, does so, he yeah. even
0: remember her? We don't know. Like, we know it means something to her, but does it mean anything to him other than like, hey, people I to kill?
1: I remember you. Come oh here. Oh my
0: god, how are you? Ah, you shot me. What the fuck? What the fuck? Uh... I would kill you. <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, sort of like, yeah, I, I like the, like the podcasters role. They're sort of like, they're really exploiting Lori's trauma and, and doing it in a way that, you know, we see, you know, like my wife is a huge fan of true crime and like, we'll listen to that, listen to podcasts all day if she could. And like, there's this, uh, there's this one case where like there was a um a change.org petition uh going on to help you know i guess galvanize support to like keep investigating what happened this, this woman's disappearance and murder and then the host says like hey like this you know this isn't like yes we're like fascinated by this stuff but you know like you know these are people there are these were people you know these were people with with families that you know that love them and want to see justice for them so like you know if you're if you're finding any sort of entertainment from this either like um you know i, I would hope it's not like this like morbid sort of like uh like glee but sort of uh, like like sort of i don't know like tickling that that macabre bone that you and i have talked about us having so uh, so much. You know, that's the least you could do is try to help this person,
0: right? Yeah. And, s- and go ahead. Sorry. No, go go go. go. You yeah. had a good transition going. I'm <laughs> sorry. Go uh, go go.
1: And and so to see something like that, but done so callously, like that doesn't seem like they were interested in helping Lori at all. They didn't see Lori as a person. Like she didn't have personhood in their eyes she was simply a victim
0: right and they they have this whole pitch to her that she should go to the hospital with them and confront michael like basically they're trying to create theater
1: no yeah um, exactly
0: And with her trauma and it in a really tasteless way i think they're you know i'm as fascinated by true crime as the next person you know and i think that you know for better or worse, like as a culture we are we are obsessed with these uh types of things um but there are probably, there are good ways and bad ways to go about it, and they're definitely they they come what's great is the, they play their characters as if they think they're being so sensitive and so thoughtful you know and so gentle with her, and you know don't understand why she's being so rude you know. Um, but they're essentially trying to rehabilitate, make her answer for him, you yeah. know, making, making his crime her problem again, you know, which is, I think, not an uncommon thing that happens to women and their abusers as they end up uh, unwillingly sort of getting wedged into the rehabilitation effort. Uh, yeah, like
1: well, having to relive that trauma uh, beyond what they're comfortable with.
0: Right. Exactly. Um so yeah, it's it's I think it's interesting because I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what some true crime podcasters actually think of the movie and the portrayal of true crime, like whether they understand, you know, that there is sort of a tongue-in-cheek element to it or
1: well just it's just the idea like, you know, this isn't a TV series, this isn't uh Uh, They're not pitching this as a documentary film. Like it's a podcast. Like that's very like in keeping with the times as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I I guess I'm wondering whether the film itself is taking like a sort of judgy, finger shaky thing, or if it's just sort of like Halloween three with its protagonist, just sort of saying like, here's a thing that's part of the culture now that would definitely be part of this story.
1: I think it's the latter. Absolutely. think it's the latter. And it figures
0: in very well to the metatextual theme of why is he doing this? Why let's make him make sense. And him just being like, nah, man,
1: nah, so much to do me.
0: Right. The, the, the conscious decisions that he makes are to kill them and get the mask. And then he seems to just kind of be on a tear after that, like wherever he winds up, he seems to be deliberately, targeting people who are alone he doesn't go after crowds yeah i think um i mean he lets the little kid with the boom box go because they're on a crowded street yep um but other than that like i i spent a lot of time on this watch you know this is i think my third time watching the movie like trying to figure out like is does he have a plan here like in the original halloween he kind of does seem to at least like he's definitely targeting those girls like he's watching them he's following them but in this one it just seems like i mean like there's
1: there's a scene where and i I think it's it's a reference to the the opening scene in a halloween h2o where like michael grabs loomis's nurse from behind like from the from the hair yes and slits her throat he does that to a woman, but instead of slinging her throat, he just stabs her through the neck from behind. So like the point is coming out from the front of her neck. And that, like that woman was just like hanging out in her house. But like you Talking said, like, somebody on the phone, yeah. Like you say like completely alone. So yeah, it just, it feels like it's completely at random. Like it feels like it's completely at random and that, you know, these victims were only chosen or these people were only chosen because uh, these people that Michael killed were only chosen because like you said, because of the the, the situation they found themselves in, rather than you know some some plan that Michael might have might have had,
0: right? And yeah, like they're crimes of opportunity more than um, premeditation, which I think makes it much scarier. Um, and the other thing about like restoring Michael as this force of nature is just physically, he feels like Rob Zombie made the mistake of casting a wrestler as michael myers you know just this huge fucking dude and like that's not that's not michael myers you know michael myers is supposed to what's scary about him is he doesn't look like someone who would do the things
1: that he does just like a regular dude just a regular built dude
0: right and but his physical presence in the movie like the force of it is fucking terrifying and i think that that's something that this movie gets right that none of the other sequels really did is like, there's a, a punch to the way he acts. That is not, it doesn't feel like any, any, well, rather there's a a physicality to him that doesn't pull any punches that, um, whereas H2O, he doesn't kill that mother and kid. Like you see Michael on a killing spree on his way to Haddonfield. So that, I guess that's the other choice he makes is he goes back to Haddonfield. Um, Like he, he makes that choice. He makes the choice to get the mask and go back. But other than that, like, I don't think he's really. And
1: visit Judith's grave again.
0: That's right. He does. That's where he, yeah. Catches up with the podcasters, right? Like that's where he finds them. Um, so he is sort of revisiting, um, I mean, he's kind of doing
1: what he did 40 years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I, I really, I like that commentary on Michael. Um, and I, I just love how scary he is in the movie, like that scene where Allison is stuck in the back seat of the cop car with him, like, and he just starts kicking. <laughs> like, yeah, scared the shit out of me.
1: <laughs> well, you brought up uh, like the comparison to his sort of um, restraint in H two O, and that and it's a complete lack of uh, thereof in in this movie. You know, what are some other comparisons to H two O? Like, how do you what do you think are some moves that H two O made that were better, and which ones do you think uh, 2018 shined shined with? You know, there. I think that I think, I mean, and not just just to be uh not just to say like I I enjoy gratuitous violence, but I think the the violence in 2018 uh makes it makes Michael scarier.
0: I agree. Yeah, I feel like the staging um, keeps a better level of tension throughout, whereas H2O kind of saves all its moves for the last 20 minutes. And those last 20 minutes are fucking great. great.
1: <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Um, but this movie has a better sense of pacing out its, its violence and its tension um, for sure. And I think it's clear they probably had a bigger budget, uh, <laughs> you know, a little more money to work with um I you know it's interesting you get two portrayals of Lori, and they both kind of follow the same trajectory in both movies right which is Lori is traumatized by what happened with Michael back in 1978 and the movie ends with her turning the tables on him so like in a way Halloween 2018 is doing what H2O did 20 years before but it feels much more, it's much more of a battle this time. I, I feel like, like the, 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 the confrontation, I think goes on longer, has more beats to it. Um, you know, it, um, although there is a pretty nice nod to the, you know, the iconic moment in H2O, which is Michael and Lori seeing each other on the other side of the glass, you know, in the door. And they do that moment in this movie, but Michael just like smashes through the door and like grabs mm-hmm. her
1: okay grabs her head and starts slamming her head against the door yeah and just uh,
0: fucking terrifying <laughs> he's so scary
1: yeah i think that i think they handle the Lori character um you know whereas you see like there are allusions to uh laurie not having it together in h2o uh you know she seems to drink a little too much she uh had a nasty she dated a uh, an asshole who gave her this son, and but he's a piece of shit. And uh, but still, like, she has a more or less good relationship with her son. Like, I mean, yeah. he he finds her a little too stifling, but she's like, she kind of relents and lets you know, agrees to let him go to Yellowstone or to the Grand Tetons or what Jellystone, wherever they're going. Uh, <laughs> <Jellystone>. <laughs> um, she's got a great job as yep. a headmistress of a private school. She's got a boo thing that she seems that, you know, that seems a to doctor. be really into her. A yeah. doctor. Um, she,
0: yeah, her, she's got a pretty good life considering uh, that she had to go into like witness protection 20 years before.
1: And this Lori is a full blown alcoholic, uh, complete like survivalist, has like you know almost completely wrecked the relationship with her daughter and granddaughter as a result. Um, through like through her you know uh through her through i mean through her single minded yeah like yeah her single-minded um uh just, uh Preparation, desire, yeah you know to to ensure she's ready that, that that she's ready that her daughter's ready um i don't know that if it's if michael shows back up but when he does right um or even i mean and that's the other thing like i i, I brought up earlier like there's this idea of um, like unknowable violence like she says I tried to prepare you for the horrors of this world you know like that doesn't just imply Michael like she's seen firsthand like what this world could do and you know uh, at that point you can either say like well that's you know I've seen the worst it can only get better from here right or you can go the route that Lori Strode went and like build a fake kitchen uh in uh, island kitchen that leads to a crazy like gun basement
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well her whole house is a trap you know it's a cage uh which is something not a cage right it's it's, a trap it's a trap for michael and i i thought that was such a beautiful uh twist i also love judy greer tricking michael into sort of was fantastic yeah um yeah it's it's interesting how removed karen Lori's daughter is from her as far as like it almost forcefully cheerful you know like has that whole thing about the the world is a place full of love and you know blah blah
1: blah i don't like halloween i like christmas like she's wearing a christmas sweater on halloween (laughs) (laughs)
0: like really working hard and i i think it's interesting too i i'm pretty sure toby huss who plays her husband ray is a bit older than her. Let's see. He was born in sixty six. She was born in seventy five. So yeah, he's he's about ten years older than her. And I'm. That also feels sort of telling a little bit. I mean, just in terms of like a protector, somebody who's maybe a little bit you know older seems safe. Um, I,
1: I didn't don't know. Make that, I didn't make that connection.
0: I mean, I. I, I may be reaching here a little bit, but I, I remember being struck by the age difference. And honestly, it's not an unacceptable age difference. You know, it's not like uh, Tom Atkins in Halloween three. Um, yeah. You know, they've clearly been married for a long time and they have a daughter, you know, who's already in high school. So like, um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It's interesting that he seems like a safe and stable presence and sort of goofy and, you know, nice in a way that her mother is not. Um, and I'm not saying it's necessarily a reaction, but definitely that reaching towards stability uh, that, that she seems to do.
1: The movie ends with what I feel is a, an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with um, three generations of Strode women, like sitting in the back of like a farm pickup uh, and like having a sense, like, you know, like sort of upending the final girl trope that Carpenter inadvertently created 40 years prior. And, you know, whereas these, these final girls are, uh, you know, without agency and, and survive either through the, the machinations of a male or through like sheer dumb luck. Like these women and like these aren't girls, these women were fully prepared and ready for this shit and enacted a plan that went th- with you know went through almost flawlessly. Actually, the husband dies, but whatever. Uh but the plan's almost that plan like you know, like I said, they, they enact the plan almost flawlessly and and they survive. And like I thought that was I like I said, because we discussed Carpenter's view on the final girl trope, and he's like, that's not what I meant to do at all. Like, I didn't mean for like this whole like, you know. Uh, like oh he's killing the kids because they're having sex and smoking drugs like no nah, they're just doing teenager shit that's all it was right you know um and then the like the idea of the the final girl as well like something that um inadvertently came as a result of of how people saw um like the archetypes of of Laurie Strode and Michael Myers but you know i thought it was really interesting but one thing that that was that caught both of our eyes was the, the grand was the granddaughter's name. Allison. One thing that uh, caught both of our eyes was the, uh, the granddaughter, Allison. Uh, She like pretty much um, I think she struck the last blow when she's like stabs Michael. Like, I think he's trying to climb up and she's, she grabs the butcher's knife and stabs him. Right. That causes him to lose his grip. And that's when they're able to trap him in the basement and set him on fire. Uh, she still has the knife. She's still holding the knife as they're, you know, being driven away to safety. And there's like this lingering shot on the bloody knife as she's holding it. And I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's like some symbolism, like some metatextual symbolism behind that, or if it's, um, you know, and uh, uh, something it's teasing something that's going to happen in the sequel that comes out in just a couple of weeks.
0: Or if it's just sort of um, a callback of like it all started with a knife just like this, you know. Yeah. Uh, Or could also argue that it's a little wink, wink, nod, nod to the end of Halloween 4 where Michael's niece does actually uh, commit violence against her mother. Um, It could
1: be. And what's cool is it could be any number. It could be any of those things or all of those things. And what's great is that uh, like obviously we're getting a sequel. Obviously we're getting two sequels. But you know this movie is they could very well have like ended the halloween series here like this could act as like you know like okay cool like well let's go ahead and sort of like wrap up these characters in a satisfying way that didn't really happen with resurrection
0: yeah yeah um (laughs) we were joking earlier today about um the opening minutes of Halloween kills also uh, possibly offing Lori as a, as a playful nod to Halloween. Hey, remember, what,
1: Oh, they've done that before. <laughs> ha ha. Those guys. Oh man. These
0: scamps. Um, I, I love that it ends the movie on a note of unease that you've got this amazing triumph. The Carpenter score is just incredible. Like it's just, you know, there's a track if you're a soundtrack head called the shape burns, which is just an absolute banger. Uh, and, but that lingering shot on the knife, like it, the movie doesn't allow you a complete like fist pump. Hell yeah. At the end, if you're paying yeah, attention.
1: Yeah. Cause you, yeah, you see that and you're like, wait a minute. What does that mean? Yeah. What the fuck does that mean?
0: Kind of like at the, I mean, it, like this is again, another little bit of a reach, but like the, the end of the graduate, you know, where they get on the bus, you know, they're laughing, they've run away from the wedding together, they get on the bus and like the director just kept the camera rolling, you know, until the laughter died out. And like, they were just sitting there and what comes across in the movie where, you know, what was happening was the actors were just,
1: you know, uh, like, yeah, we're just waiting for him to yell cut.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, but what comes across is this, like, Okay, now what? Yeah. Like you know, and and like almost like a sense of like we may have just made the biggest mistake of our lives, that doesn't necessarily. I don't know that a lot of audiences picked up on that originally. I think the movie was viewed as a rom com, you know, like, but there is that note of unease, right, which complicates it and makes it more interesting. Um,
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us as we discuss Halloween three season of the witch and Halloween 2018, we will be back in just two short weeks to discuss the brand new Halloween kills movie. I still haven't decided if I'm going to go see it in the cinema or if I'm going to watch it at home, in the safety of my own home uh, via the Peacock on the Peacock peacock streaming service. Um, Like I would love it. Uh, You know, I, I discussed with the missus about making it a date night, but as I told someone on Twitter, uh, the idea of being in a crowded theater right now in Texas might be scarier than Michael Myers himself.
0: <laughs> and that's that's an excellent point. I I really want to go see it in the theater. I might take the risk just because I have no kids at home and I live alone, so there's less danger for me than there would be for you. But I, you bring up some excellent points, and I would encourage anybody, uh, you know, who's excited about the movie to. Exercise your own best judgment. Um, you know, be safe. Uh, you know, obviously we're all excited about the movie, but do do whatever feels safest to you.
1: Yeah, keep keep yourself safe and keep others safe. Yes. Well, my name is Sergio. And mine is Sean. Be kind to yourself and to others. Oh, you dumb, dumb fuck. Why well, They're never going to know that shit now. I'll know. So no one's going to believe you. <laughs> you write masturbation books, no one can trust you.